This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. And welcome to episode 110 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and, uh, well, it's, I'm not on my lonesome, right? Let's be honest. It's a very warm welcome back to the show. Joining us from parts unknown, channel manager and presenter from the incredible whatculture.com is, of course, the one and only Andy Murray. Andy, welcome back. How's it going, mate? Going very, very well. A pleasure to be back. Uh, obviously, not too many pleasurable moments in the part of the season that we're about to go through right here. But as someone who has to talk about WWE for a living, I'm very used to wading through some absolute pish. So right at home. Here we go. Here we go. And I was going to say as a guest, but let's face it, because it's just, you know, you're basically a guest presenter tonight. So that's can, intimidating. I don't, know who you, I don't know who you want to be. Do you want to be Graham or do you want to be Gav? What persona do you want to take? Uh, they're both cowards, if you ask me, for conveniently being away at this uh opportune moment when we're about to go through January and February. So uh, I'll tell you what, because Graham's already away, Gav's not away until tomorrow. I'll go with Gav because he's still, he's not cowarded out quite yet. Exactly. Absolutely. I would normally do a in the week that saw moment here, but we're recording this like so far in advance of going out because of circumstances. And we've no idea what will happen in the days between now and the episode coming out. So Let's just move straight on to the first item on tonight's card, shall we? Let's, let's quickly touch on some of the news that's come out of AB24 just this week so far. Um, first up, obviously, the Dolans confirming earlier in the week that they smashed through the 10K mark for season tickets. A pretty incredible achievement, considering that we've only confirmed two signings so far. One of them in the form of Angus McDonald, which was announced ages ago, and then the other one in the form of Nicky Devlin. And with the best one in the world to both these guys... They're not exactly what you'd call needle movers when it comes to season ticket sales. So a pretty remarkable achievement from the club already. Absolutely. And uh, it, it just speaks volumes of, can you imagine sitting here, say, six months ago and saying that we'd have sold 10,000 season tickets at this stage when everything was going to hell under Goodwin and everything else? Just speaks to the re- remarkable four months we've had as a football club. I think as well, I, I think... Alan Burrows probably deserves a lot of credit already, I think, for a lot of this, because he's been pushing quite hard the fact the target was 10k. I, I always feel the club never really openly talked about what our previous season ticket numbers had been and targets and any of that type of stuff. And I think that when you actually actively say to people, right, we want 10,000, kind of let's make it happen. There's obviously the positive side about what's happened on the pitch as well, but I think that that level of fan engagement, I think, also helps, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's... Uh... Something to brag about, really. Something to shout about. Obviously, you're you're potentially uh, about to be hoisted by your own petard if you don't hit that mark, of course. So it's a, it's kind of a ballsy move. You don't really lose anything other than a bit of you know PR or whatever. But yeah, no, it's a, it's just something to aim for. It's a nice wee target. 
Uh, I saw his tweet the other day about however many hundred people had signed up for the very first time or whatever. It's just nice to have a bit of positivity about the club coming into a season because we've not had that in God knows how long. Indeed, absolutely. Um, the other major part of news this week, obviously, was Don's finally got around to announcing our future endeavour list on Tuesday. Um, perhaps no major surprises here. Marley Watkins, Conor McLennan, Dean Campbell and Matty Kennedy all departing from the first team squad. Uh, Marley Watkins, 65 appearances over his two spells, scoring six goals. The last of those was that goal against United at Tannadice in the 3-1 win. Conor McLennan departs after his loan spells and Johnson comes to an end. Uh, a Youth Academy graduate, 108 appearances in the first team. Eight goals, I guess the most famous of those was the 2-0, one of those in the 2-0 win over Sevco Ibrox in the Scottish Cup quarterfinal a few years back. Dean Campbell, another one from the Youth Academy, also departing after his loan spell. Stevenish came to an end. Uh, Dino, the youngest ever Dons player when he made his debut against Celtic back in 2017, made 75 appearances in the first team, scoring once. And then Matty Kennedy departs uh, at the end of his three and a half year deal after he signed from St. Johnston in January 2020, 85 appearances and total six goals. From the youth setup, we've seen Mason Hancock, Milos Ochmanskis, Christ, good luck for that one. <laughs> Timmy Fatona and Blessing Oyemi all departing and then first team coach Liam Fox also leaving after his short stint citing family circumstances, preventing him from relocating to Aberdeen. Although I noticed that tonight he's been linked with uh, joining back up at the Hearts coaching yeah. setup, which I think he was at before back in the day anyway um, and then i guess confirmed as well that we're not going to take up the option to purchase patrick mislovich so <laughs> <laughs> those 44 minutes of football didn't quite sell <laughs> don't think it worked really. um no real no real surprises in that list is there i don't think no not necessarily um i thought that watkins would have been a, a relatively useful squad padder if he wasn't on particularly high money for the european campaign ahead um because we do need more bodies obviously competing on that front until at least Christmas and everything else. But beyond that, I was a little bit surprised to see Mason Hancock's name crop up just because of the way he'd featured early in the season in the cup and all of that stuff before going away. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't like serviceable players, Connor McLennan and, and Dean Campbell, but nobody who's not at this stage in their development and their career is not someone we're ever going to want to rely on or need to rely on. So yeah, no shocks. Yeah. I think we were the same. I think Mason Hancock was the biggest surprise, I think, out of them all. Obviously, he'd come in and I thought he did okay in the League Cup group stages at the start of the season. Uh, got farmed out alone, had a really bad injury when he was at our bro, came back. Yeah. I, I thought they would do something with him, but there we go. Yeah. Um, I actually thought Marley Watkins, I thought Robson would give him another deal. I got the impression that I thought Robson quite liked him. He, he frequently went to him as the player off the bench. And I thought I could see him deciding he's, as you say, maybe serviceable SPFL kind of yeah. premiership. He'd probably get into most teams in the Premiership in Scotland, could do a job in the squad. I wonder if part of that is around the fact that all signs appear to indicate that Esther Sokler, the Slovenian striker, appears to be coming pretty close to signing a deal with, with Aberdeen. I wonder if it's just a case of us taking the, the wages and investing them elsewhere, I think. Uh, absolutely. That's That's got to be the fact of it because not a player that's going to light the world ablaze, particularly when we're competing in Europe. But, you know, if he was on lower money, probably worth keeping around to at least come off the bench with 20 minutes to go when you're playing, I don't know, the team that finished second in Kazakhstan or whoever we get drawn against. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, yeah, no ma no major surprises. It'll be interesting to see what they do now to fill the gap that Liam Fox leaves, I think. Because I think, by all accounts, a very, very good coach, perhaps just not a very good manager. Um, 
But hey, there we go. Let's move on, though, to the main event of the evening, shall we? Part three of our patented season 2022-2023 review. Strap yourselves in for this one. <laughs> and you drew the... I, I say you drew the short straw. It was between you and Tom. Um, <laughs> and I felt it was just... I think it was time for Tom to be allowed to do something more positive. And I thought, if someone's going to embrace the chaos... Oh, this is this is literally my day job, talking <laughs> about the most chaotic... Uh, form of entertainment imaginable yeah like you, you you do say short straw but i was actually quite happy to get this because i mean there's just so much to sink your teeth into with this this period of time especially those few days in january yeah uh, we all know the few days we're talking about immediately oh, uh, we're gonna come on to them I can't we're gonna wait. come on to them <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> but it is it's like i think the good thing about it is we can kind of laugh about it a bit now which is the, the important thing i think if this had been <laughs> I think if the season had carried on in the trajectory in which it was heading at the end of January and we were looking back on this now, we'd probably all be, yeah. well, uh, I think possibly one uh, committed into a, a mental institution <laughs> potentially by the time we finish up tonight. But at least, like I say, we can have a little bit of a laugh about it. So we left off in part two of the season review with Beth and Johnny Main last time around as we headed into the World Cup break, sitting in third in the table in the League Cup semi-final against Sevco. Um Andy, just kind of where was your head at as the world's attention turned to the sports washing spectacle that was the Qatar World Cup? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Um, relatively, I don't know, I hadn't, you know, you're sitting in thirds, obviously. You look at that and you think, okay, this is this is going all right. This is going all right. So I wasn't panicking or anything at this stage, obviously. That came a few weeks later. Um, but at the same time, just sitting there looking at the way we've played, particularly away from home and everything else, and the, the volume of problems that still existed holding on from the previous era. And, you know, Jim's famous phrase about fixing the defence and everything else, these things kind of lingering overhead and at this stage kind of losing a bit of faith in like his ability to, to come up with a plan B and adapt on the fly and, and everything else. I was... In an oddly negative headspace for for someone whose football team was sitting in third, but to me it, it kind of felt a lot like the same period under Stephen Glass, um, with a relatively inexperienced manager and some tough stuff coming down the pipe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think I think as well when we talked about it with Johnny and Beth, I think you always had that, like the United game, the four 0 game, right? I think triggered so many people because of just how bad that was. And I think that was, I'd never been convinced by the Goodwin appointment anyway. And he obviously never got the new manager bounce when he first came in. And then we did okay at the start of the League Cups. The group stages were fine. We came through that group, which we should have done. But there were always just these little warning signs, weren't there, lingering everywhere in the background. No, despite the fact, like you say, we were third in the table in the semi-final of the League Cup. You know, we, he was doing effectively what he had been tasked to do, but it just felt off is, is probably the best way to... To put it, and I think um, going into that Qatar World Cup, right, in a move that I can only surmise as being peculiar, we lined up only one bounce game during that entire five weeks that we had off, compared to a lot of other teams in the Premiership were having at least three or four games during yeah. that space of time. Um, that game, of course, a wonderfully tiresome 1-0 win over Atlanta United 11, as it was billed at the Atlanta United training ground. The main highlight of this one was the commentary provided um, on Red TV by our hosts, Um a welcome opportunity, I think, for some Atlanta and States-based Aberdeen fans to get to interact with the team and the squad and stuff. Um, a total second-string 11 from our side against basically what were the under-17 and under-18 kids from the Atlanta set up, uh, late in Clarkson with only goal the game. 
the biggest talking point, I think, of the entire trip was just what happened in Atlanta between Jim Goodwin and Vinny Bergeron. Aye, absolutely. Because, um, like, looking at the, the, the footballing aspects of the trip, I was like, okay, we've gone away. We've played one game during this four or five week period, however the heck long it was. We've, we've fielded a second string. Certain players couldn't or didn't travel or whatever. Um, it all looked a bit entirely pointless. And then you have this nice slab of drama that <laughs> ultimately results in, you know, a, a mercurial, inconsistent footballer, but one of the more talented attacking players at the club, um, falling out with a stubborn manager um, who obviously, as the manager, uh, isn't going to bend in situations like this. He ultimately leaves the club in the, the on loan and everything else. Um yeah, not the most opportune way to spend your winter break, I don't think. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think my favourite thing about this was, they remember, they build as being, it'll be great, they'll get to go to like a warmer climate over the winter break, it'll be brilliant. From what I remember, I think the temperatures at Atlanta that week were colder than they were in Aberdeen. So it was <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, just a bit odd, because at the time I was like, okay, fine, they're going to get a few weeks off. And I think it was only at the realisation at that point that other teams in the league were playing way more games than we were. Yeah. And I remember suddenly being like, are we like not doing anything? And I remember seeing a lot of people like, don't worry about it. they'll be playing closed door games at Cormac Park. It's like the closed door games always get leaked out anyway. Everybody knows they're happening. Like, these are clearly not taking place. And I wonder if that's why um, when we did return to action on the 17th of December with the visit of Celtic to Pataudry, um, and let's be honest, we all know how this one went down. An incredibly defensive showing from Aberdeen, and that's me being extremely fucking polite about it. <laughs> um, after we barely ventured out of our own half in this one, Celtic with 80% possession. Aberdeen had two shots on goal for the entire game, none of them on target, and expected goals of just 0.06, um, which I think to put that into perspective for people, that means if you played that game 100 times, we would score six goals. Um, yeah. <laughs> the visitors had so many opportunities that we somehow nearly escaped with a point until Cal McGregor lashed one from 25 yards with three minutes remaining, which, let's be honest, was entirely inevitable. Having gone into the World Cup break with at least a, a level of optimism because of where we were in the league, yeah. um, it was an opportunity against the Celtic team as well, who, let's be honest, were far and away the best team in the league last season, but they were still in the same boat as us. They'd come in after five weeks off, so there's always the chance you maybe try and catch somebody a little bit cold on the first day. Um, doesn't happen. The way we set up was frankly disgraceful. A lot of yeah. criticism went Goodwin's way after this for the setup, deserved in my mind. Mm -hmm. I also think that for a lot of Aberdeen fans, probably for the majority, this was probably the beginning of the end for Goodwin, I think. Absolutely. I think obviously you're playing against the most talented team in the league, team that's going to win the league, but you're at home at the same time and you, you adapt to the teams you're playing and all of this and you set up in certain ways and whatever, whatever. But to to kind of park all 11 men effectively in our own box mm -hmm. for the entire duration, it, it's just, it just shows the naivety of the man and kind of confirmed a lot of the fears I had prior to the World Cup. Because, I mean, contextually, right, if the average human being five years later goes and looks at this result and goes 1-0 Celtic, ah, whatever. But the way we played, man, I mean... 30-odd shots they ended up with, I think, yeah. on the night. And I, I'm not one to get too upset about defensive play styles and, and pragmatism and, and everything else, because Lord knows we saw a lot of that in a more effective way under uh, Derek McInnes. But it, this was to a comical degree. And, 
you know, a one nil loss, whatever, whatever it is, what it is, but <laughs> a really worrying sign. And, you know, the big takeaway from this, from the manager's point of view, you'd think would be to look at it and see why it didn't work and then not do it again. Especially when three days later, you're playing the next best team in the league. Um, infuriate, like legitimately one of the most infuriating performances I can remember as an Aberdeen fan. And I do include a certain cup game that we're going to cover <laughs> in that category. <laughs> I even remember like talking to Gavin and to Graham like during this game, being like, even if we get out of this with a nil-nil, I'll actually still be fucking raging about the way we've actually set up to play. Like, I don't, I'm kind of the same as you. I don't mind the pragmatic nature of what you what you sometimes have to do in football, but I just think that as an Aberdeen team playing at home, I don't, I don't really care who we play against at home. We should be at least a little bit more on the front foot. You know, there needs to be some attacking intent somewhere. We need to at least try to believe that we can win the game, as opposed to that just looked like a team who'd been set out to be like, try not to lose. Yeah. Please try not to lose. Yeah, and it left me like, what have you spent five weeks working on? Yeah. If it's been this fucking hell, like that's deeply worrying. And it was the, I think it was the moment as well for me where I suddenly had that light bulb moment, I think, about this was Goodwin as in his default setting, right? And I, I think I've said this to death on this show, I don't know how many times now, but my, I'm utterly convinced that when he was interviewed for the Aberdeen job, he just said whatever he had to say to get the job. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, 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 you want attacking, like, free-flowing, expansive football? I'll do that. I'll do that. Fine, fine, fine. But he was always coaching against himself. And then... It felt to me like a St. And no disrespect to any St. Mirren fans. I say that. I mean, why the fuck would you be listening to an Aberdeen podcast? So fuck it. <laughs> like, he could probably get away with setting up like that as St. Mirren manager at home against Celtic or against Rangers, right? And people wouldn't bat an eyelid about it. But that for me was the moment where I went, I don't think you understand the kind of level of the club that you're at now, that that's just not an acceptable way to, to play. And I think a lot of people left with Hodger that day. Like you say, I've seen us be scudded at home against Celtic by a lot more than 1 0. Um, Christ, I remember under McInnes where we were not three down after about 12 minutes yeah. Um, yeah. and they ran up to the Scottish Cup in 2017. And even then, we didn't really have a goal, but I felt so much more infuriated by this result than anything I could remember in, in recent times against Celtic. You literally could, you couldn't make up a more, yeah, like I said, comically mm. extreme defensive performance. It wasn't like we even, you know, sat back and tried to hit them on the break or whatever, absorb a bit of pressure and then get the faster players bombing up the field or anything like that. I think we we had something like one shot and it wasn't on target, something like something along those lines. We literally camped out in the box and just built this wall of humanity that was inevitably going to crumble. It was quite a remarkable thing from, you know, a, an inexperienced manager, admittedly, but not a complete rookie. No, that's the thing. He's not Stephen yeah. Glass rookie level. That's the yeah. thing for me. This is it. Like, it wasn't his first job. It wasn't his, you know, second game against Celtic in his career or anything like that. It was a guy who we were, re you know, relatively excited to see come in. A guy with a growing reputation in the game. And uh, I think you're bang on to something when you speak about, like, the things he must have said in the interview. Because <laughs> I think on a previous podcast that I did with you guys when I was guesting, um, I said I could listen to the guy just read a shopping list. For, yeah. for like half an hour. He's a very, very compelling talker. And then you see what he's actually all about and it's matches like this and it goes to pieces. It's so funny you just said that because Johnny Main, who was also on last week, um, we were laughing today. We were exchanging a couple of like, Twitter messages about, I don't know if you've seen the United um, interview that Goodman did yesterday, I think it was. I've not. Um, and it was just like, 
<laughs> Johnny's right. He's like, if you shut your eyes and listen to this, Goodwin's interview he did on the BBC yesterday. If you shut your eyes and listen to this utter bollocks, you swear it was a rerun of his first interview with us. <laughs> the Irish are great marketers. I'll give them that. And Johnny lives in Ellen, so he can he can absolutely say it. And it's like Goodwin's just an extension of this. Like United have learned nothing. Uh, you know, and I, I feel the same way as well. He's he talks very well. Yeah, I think a lot of Aberdeen fans, myself probably a little bit included on that, maybe got suckered in a little bit by the how well he talked initially. Yeah. Um, it's the kind of whole handsome Jim gimmick, isn't it? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a very presentable man uh, across the board. Clever in that regard. If only he was as clever, you know, with his, with his actual management of the club. <laughs> the model, Jim Goodwin. Um, <laughs> Spraying arrogance everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just so true. Like, And then it is when you listen back to that United thing, I was just saying, John, I was like, he'll be out with Hannah by October, I reckon. Ah. Because I think they'll struggle. I think they'll struggle in the championship and their fans won't hang around if, like, if they're not top of the table and miles clear by October, I think you'll be in trouble. Anyway, 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 anyway. That's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff with Jim Goodwin in this episode. <laughs> um, as you say, like three days later, there's a chance to make amends. A rearranged home game against Sevco, rearranged, of course, due to bunny ears reasons. Um, Goodwin made a couple of changes, which saw Liam Scales obviously come back in. He'd missed the Celtic game on account of the Adam Montgomery rule. Uh, Jaden Richardson also back in the team, Jack McKenzie and uh, Matty Kennedy dropping out. And we were kind of a little bit more on the front foot in the opening stage of this one. And then Sakala scores on 12 minutes after an absolute fucking rick of a clearance by Anthony Stewart. And at, at that point, you're just like, ah, oh, fuck, here we go. Not the best um, few weeks for that gentleman, eh? <laughs> what did he do in the winter break? Like, <laughs> Did he surgically have his legs like fucking taken off and then reattached the opposite way around? It was. <laughs> anyway. He um, had a shot of uh, Bertie Bossy's uncooked spaghetti, I think. Gee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I after that, I was feeling the worst. But I, I guess credit to them, the, the team, they kind of fought back. A wonderful free kick from Duke just on halftime, putting us level before Leighton Clarkson added. Another goal to his expansing, or his greatly expanding showreel, should I say, during his time with Aberdeen, a fine half volley that arced past old man McGregor. The Dons, I say that, I think he's the same age as me, so it's not really that big a joke, <laughs> is it? But then again, I'm not still trying to pretend I can play professional level football. So anyway, the Dons well on top at that point when Clarkson yeah. scores. We've got in their faces, we've made it difficult. Sevco make a triple change. Goodwin just shits the bed and makes a triple change of his own on 65 minutes, which sees us just completely go the other way around. Miofsky, Duke and Clarkson. Can you imagine going, you know what? The best thing I could do is take off my three best players. Yeah. <laughs> All withdrawn for Marley Watkins, Johnny Hayes. And let's go. At this point of the season, Johnny Hayes was not in retro Johnny Hayes mode. No. Johnny Hayes was in... I don't want to see Johnny Hayes back at the club ever again mode. And Shaden Morris came on. <laughs> and then Jack McKenzie came on for Hayden Coles with nine minutes to go. And we just sat deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper before the inevitable collapse. Our field equalising in the fifth minute of injury time. I can't even get upset about how much injury time was played in this game because it's oh. just so ridiculous. After Roos spilled a shot in his direction, what Kel Roos was doing here, I have no idea. Yeah. And then Stuart and Richardson make an absolute <laughs> fucking mess of a clearance at the back stick. The ball eventually falls for Arfield to make it 3-2. There might have been a handball in there by Goldson. There probably was. He probably caught it and popped it down and VAR didn't notice it. Anyway, one of the most remarkable collapses by an Aberdeen team I think I've ever seen 
Um, and I've seen a lot of arse collapses by Aberdeen teams over the years. And again, just a host of question marks about Goodman's approach here. When yeah. he got into a winning position. Incredible game of football in none of the positive ways this <laughs> really was. Um, obviously, Rangers score within 10, 12 minutes. And from your years of conditioning as, as an Aberdeen fan, you fear the worst immediately. But we, we play relatively well. And, you know, you, you watch the game, we go 2-1 up and everything else. And you think, okay, well... Maybe he's learned something from the Celtic game. Maybe this is how you approach. If you're Jim Goodwin and you have these players at your disposable, at disposable, well, a lot of them are, I guess. Well, um, in Jim's view, they certainly are. I, uh, if this is the, the the hand you're dealt as an Aberdeen manager, this seems like a really optimal way to play. And it was it was quite a blood and thunder game as well. I remember loads yeah. of bookings and fouls. And it, that's what you want out of Rangers games, let's be honest. You want it to be a bit tasty. It's, it makes it a bit worse when you lose, but when you win, sensational. Um, and it felt like he just pushed the Celtic button as soon as we got to about <laughs> 80 minutes or so, because you're right. We, we just drifted further and further back. The line of engagement turned into just a parallel with the defensive <laughs> line <laughs> at one point, just, it was the same thing. It was a bold line and, uh, it was the exact same thing over it. Obviously we had the individual errors, right? Kelrus, Stewart, whatever else, but it was, an identical repeat for me of the way we set out from minute one against Celtic. Yeah. And the only way I can possibly think that he tried to rationalize this was going, well, we lasted 85 minutes playing this way or whatever against them. Maybe we can survive 10 plus injury time here. What, what a complete, I'm going to show a lot of empathy for Jim Goodwin later in this episode. I promise. <laughs> right. But this was just inexplicable levels of buffoonery from the boy we were set out in a way right we were set out in a way that was working we were we were achieving what we want to do against rain and yes the substitution completely ridiculous right completely absurd it's the old thing of you know like a talented passing football team chasing a goal you get the old you know, proper football man commentator going lump it on the big man's heat no you don't you don't change to a style of football uh, when the one you're playing works <laughs> through evidence. The worst thing about this for me was that if he'd kept doing what he was doing, the chances are we'd have created more chances because Rangers had decided, fuck it, we have to go. Yeah. It's if you kept a couple of boys up top, chances are you're going to create an opportunity or you're going to have to make them at least think about it. The fact he sat and he went, oh, they've made a triple change. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a triple. <laughs> I'm going to do a triple change. And he's like, Lee Sharp's just fucking nodding like an idiot next to him, probably. Sounds like a good idea, Jim. <laughs> And the fact he's also gone, well, I'm going to shore up the, I'm going to shore this up here. Shaden. <laughs> Get stripped. <laughs> like, I just, I, I actually had forgotten that the triple switch was the way it went until yeah. I was looking at it again today. I was just like, he took our three best players off the park in one go. This is it. And at and, and the same time as well, they're just the three best players, but the three players who can come up with something out of nowhere as well, like half a chance, boom, it's a goal from 20 yards or whatever. It, incredible like what an absolute journey of a football game i'm really glad i can laugh about this one now yeah likewise <laughs> exactly if we'd missed out on europe on account of like three points or even at one point you know like i wouldn't be laughing this now but it's okay we can it's fine we made it we survived this is the stage obviously where just everything just starts to fall <laughs> apart like a trip to paisley next up a first game back at the smiza for jim goodwin and despite us taking an early lead through a, 
a really good Matty Kennedy goal. We were just talking about Matty Kennedy earlier on. Obviously, he's been released from his contract. His goals this season, all yeah. of them, worldies, as it turns out. But never mind. We still never looked particularly comfortable in this game. And there was absolutely no surprises when uh, Anthony Stewart, <laughs> having a fucking whale of a time, hauled down Ayunga after losing possession to him. And he just about tuned us before. He'd nearly sold the shirts a minute before we given, I think it was Ramadani, an absolute hospital pass in the centre of the park. Anyway, holds Ayunga down. VAR decides it's a penalty. Uh, I'm not sure if it actually... Uh, yeah, it was actually by the letter of the law because the contact continued into the box. Stuart gets sent off. And just to compound things for Aberdeen, O'Hara still misses the penalty, but it hits the post and bounces off Kel not uh, fucking noggin and bounces back into the net. Just what you want. Worse to come just a few minutes into the second half. Curtis Main, of course. Who else? Brought down in the box by Roos after Liam Scales just decided to have a wee snooze and watch Curtis Main run off him. O'Hara scores this one, no problem. A third penalty for the home side coming nine minutes later. Scales and McCrory getting into all sorts of bother. One of them brings down Ayunga. I don't know who it is. He steps up. Roos saves the penalty. And then somehow Ramadani hits the bar. Ramirez and Duncan get mixed up with each other with the goal gaping. We could have equalised later on in this one, but as it is, the points end up with the buddies when we uploaded our latest clip to the end of season blooper reel with Roos up for a corner. The ball gets clear. Jack McKenzie... I'm not entirely sure what Jack's tried to do here. Gets dispossessed in the halfway line by Kilty, who fires home from 35 yards. Another incredibly spectacular afternoon on the road by Aberdeen Football Club. <laughs> the banner years were well and truly back at this point, weren't they? Oh, Jesus. Oh. Jesus Christ. And yet, inexplicably, still kind of clinging on to third place. Yeah. <laughs> by, <laughs> by, by virtue of there being something like two points between like third and ninth or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the, the all the hallmarks of a team where the wheels are well and truly coming <laughs> off in this one because you can look at Celtic and you can attribute that to the manager and the way the team set out and you can look to Rangers and look at the way he adapted. Yes, of course, Stuart, <laughs> not his best night and whatever else. But then you come to this and it's just a complete <laughs> shambles. All the every- goals. All the goals are awful. Every one of them. And it's like, people like to look at performances like this and go, oh, no, it's the the individual players. He's made these errors, blah, blah, blah. We can't blame the manager or whatever. Not in this context, obviously. But when so many things go wrong for so many people at once, <laughs> what's the one thing tying them together? Exactly. Um, this, was, this game came at the kind of... This was nearing my pit uh, of despair for the season. <laughs> I actually, I t- believe it or not, I turned a really weird corner in the new year that we'll get to. Uh, but yeah, what a calamity. And, and again, Anthony Stewart, man. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Where did we... Well, this this guy, this guy, quite an acclaimed, you know, League One centre-back or whatever. Blood and thunder. Sounds great. Sounds awesome. Brother. <laughs> <laughs> Kel Roos as well, the poor bugger man. Like, obviously, cross for Atu, whatever, whatever. Very funny. Very and funny. And at this point, well-deserved, right? Yeah. Very glad he, he had the end to the season he did. Yes. Uh, but gee whiz, man. Gee whiz. How was, I want to know how this guy was being managed for such a turnaround, you know? like <laughs> It's so true. I'd love to see the difference in the conversations the coaches were having with him before Goodwin left and afterwards, because it's... It's ridiculous. Bearing my Craig Samson was still there. So it's like, it's not even like we changed out the goalkeeping coach, which I'm like, I still can't quite fathom what's happened here. Um, Yeah. The Anthony Stewart, that that five minutes 
where <laughs> leading up to the penalty, it's just like, oh my god, what the fuck? Like it, again, in a way, I sometimes feel sorry for Stuart. I, I, at this point, I was still feeling sorry for him. That disappears very quickly after Hamden, and we'll come on to that Aye. soon. Aye. But I felt very sorry from from a perspective that he clearly, if you fling balls into the box, he'll probably head them away, right? And his positional sense of play was, was not bad, I thought. He would generally be in the right place at the right time. Not obviously the quickest, by any stretch of the imagination. But very much that blood and thunder kind of defender you talked about from League One. If, you, if you're just asking who for the ball clear, he'll probably build who for the ball clear. But asking him suddenly to play football was just an entirely different kettle of fish. And there were times I felt a bit sorry for him because he was always being used as well as the spare man in the defensive line to, to receive passes and try and get things going. And it was just like, um, the United, the 4-0 game, I, I don't think we really touched on it very much, but United very clearly were like, let him have the ball. Yeah. Every time he had the ball, they just sat in their half and were like, go on then. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> and um, Jesus fucking hell, that 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 Simeon game was just, every bit of it, like I say, every one of the goals, just laughably bad. Yeah. Um, Again, with the benefit of hindsight. At the time, I didn't find it quite so fucking funny, but never mind. But never fear, up next, a midweek trip between Christmas and New Year to Ayrshire. Who wants to do that in the middle of winter? <laughs> Thank you, the SPFL fixture computer, and a chance to visit the ghost of Christmas past <laughs> in the form of Derek McInnes and his Kilmarnock side who were looking to record just a second win at home against Aberdeen in 30 attempts, um, mainly on account of Derek McInnes' amazing uh, record as manager in these games, as it turns out, at Rugby Park. Um for a team desperately looking for a reaction, what a first half performance this was by the Dodds. Goals from Robinson and Wright. The first, like, oh my God, Ross McCurry was back in that mode of being very surprised when attackers appeared next to him in the penalty box. And I can only presume he somehow deleted any evidence of this off of his showreel before Bristol City came calling. And then the second one is just awful as well. The fact we even allow... Ash Taylor all the time in the world to swing in across with his left foot. <laughs> that famous winger, Ash Taylor. <laughs> Ash, and Ash nobody Taylor. decides to mark the centre half. Free header, 2-0. Kelly could have scored two or three more in the second half and we couldn't have complained about it. A consolation goal from Matty Kennedy we talked about her. A fantastic yeah. free kick. I saw some people complaining we didn't include this in the goal of the season category for our end of season awards, but I'm not going to include a goal that comes in the 96th minute in a game where we're absolutely fucking ter- terrible and so I'm sorry. Um, anyway, fourth straight defeat after returning from the World Cup break. We were now fourth behind Hearts, who'd gone on a great run. Goodwin was really starting to look like a condemned man at this point. There was a press conference after this game and he just looked done yeah. already at this point. Yeah. I, I I remember it was either at the presser or in a media interview or whatever, but he was talking about how he, he could never say that this team has a lack of fight and... It's like, brother, you're not, <laughs> we're not watching the same brand of stuff here. It's again, it's that kind of Jim Goodwin salesman side coming out and not reflecting the reality of the situation whatsoever. I mean, this was just like a, another narrative game, wasn't it? It's, yeah. we've just played Goodwin's former side. Now we've got our former manager over here. We've lost to them both. And like, Kelly were really unfortunate to only be 2 0 up as well. Like, the, the chances that we just handed to them on a plate. I think Taylor had one. I don't know who else, but... I think they all eventually had a chance. Yeah. They, they had just... something daft, like 30 shots in the opening 45 minutes or something stupid like that. Jesus Christ. 
I need to go back and look at it. It was it was something it's something real ridiculous for a team like Aberdeen to even contemplate against anybody in the league, let alone Kelly, who at that point again were well, let's be honest, not having the best of seasons. Um I'm trying to find it now. Where am I? Um come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Can't find it. Aye. Aye. Just... Let me see. Let me see stats. Sorry, there's 17 shots, sorry, in the first half. That's still a lot. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it's yeah. not ideal. Suboptimal, I think is how I would call uh, that. Yeah, going down to rugby pug bean and during that, Jesus. Um, <laughs> absolutely grim. I think I've uh, I've been quite successful in scrubbing this and maybe through the Ross County nil-nil from my mind. Um, Let's talk about Ross County nil-nil. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> what a doozy this was. Jesus Christ. Into the new year, the visit of the mad racist Malky Mackay's Ross County to Pataudry. Um, no new signings as yet. This was, I think, the 2nd of January. Yeah. Christian Ramirez, though, brought back into the starting lineup for the first time since the League Cup group stages, um, the game against Sterling Albion, which just indicates just how desperate he <laughs> was at this point, right? But where did we play him? <laughs> That's right. Deployed by Jim Goodwin as a number 10. Genius. <laughs> no prizes for guessing how that one worked out. Yeah. Christian um, Ramirez, of course, is famed for his Zlatan-esque ability to get involved in multiple passages of play. Harry Kane of, of the United States. Jesus. Truly awful. Awful yeah. spectacle. Uh, County came for a 0-0. They walked away with one pretty convincingly. Like, we had all the ball, <laughs> all the play. Uh, seven shots on target, I think, but we never really looked like scoring at all through this game. This is quite possibly the most bored I've ever been at Pataudry. And, and I don't even say that lightly. I've seen a lot of lot of tedious stuff over the years. This left us five points behind Hearts now, who had a game in hand. That was a winless run of five games. The pressure's well and truly on Goodwin at this point. And I don't think he helped himself here with a slightly sarcastic walk around the pitch after the game, applauding the supporters who... We're starting to give him a bit of stick at this point. Not a great look, it's fair to say. No, absolutely. And he he's talking at the time as well about, I think, what, we're up to like five games without a win, six games at this point. And yeah. he's still giving it big licks about not panicking and, and all of this. We've got to keep cool heads, boys, all of this. But this was really kind of, I mean, you can, you can pinpoint like seven or eight different games in this period as the point of no return. But this was doom spiral stuff. Um <laughs> No, no. Ross County did nothing in this game. They did um, absolutely nothing. Zero things. I know we had one cleared off the line pretty early, but for remarkably, for a team with three centre forwards <laughs> starting, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> in, in Duke Miowski and uh, and Ramirez, it, it resembled the ultimate panic move. It's like you're playing FIFA. You're 12 years old. Your mates beating you, so you put your three strikers on at once and. Yeah, just again, the, the the ideas are just they're just not there with the with with Jim Goodwin and be it parking your entire team behind the ball for ninety minutes or starting with three strikers playing you know one of them way out of position at number ten <laughs> a guy a guy as well who gave up playing for this football club long before he left oh, <laughs> as yeah. well like who is about you know, a year about a year before <laughs> exactly who you know had never been shy of letting his feelings known in social media and various other platforms um this is the bloke you're relying on a talented guy and you know i, I don't wish him any ill will or anything like that but 
Christian Ramirez is the bloke that you, that you turn to. It was just a, the the definition of a a toothless idealist performance, and concerning in different ways, I think, to the calamities before it, which. When you yeah. add all this stuff up, it's it's an omni shambles. It is. Oh, it is because I remember like, we were sitting in the pub before the game, and the, the team lights came through, and you're like, oh, "I just put Ramirez in." Oh, but he's still playing Duke, and he's playing Miofsky. So you're like, what's he playing? It's like a four three three or something. He must be, and he's going to play like maybe Miofsky off the left, and maybe Duke off the right, and you'll have to use Ramirez to the center because Ramirez can't do anything else, right? Yeah. And then when we lined up, it was like, oh, okay, he's he's gone still with the four two three one, but he appears to be playing. Ramirez is a 10. Well, this is, this is a bold move. Maybe, maybe we've been working on this all season and it's ready to kind of like explode into life now. And uh, no, as nope. it turns out. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no worse way of describing this game eh, than exploding into life. <laughs> I mean, who'd have thunk that a guy who was pretty limited at like holding the ball up and controlling the ball in tight spaces, not a bad finisher when the ball's in the box and it's a bit instinctive, but who'd have thought he might struggle in that sort of position? Um, <laughs> and as you say, that that also for me was a big moment of, uh, this guy's got no idea. This is proper, like, rolling the dice and just hoping something comes up. And um, nothing came up. Fresh blood. I say fresh blood. Not really fresh. Not arrived during the course of the following week because Graham Shinney came back. Um, hey! Wigging on loan for the remainder of the season. Straight into the starting lineup for the visit of St. Johnston in a game that saw us get all nostalgic with Shinny back and Andy Considine back at Batodre for his first game after departing the previous summer. Um, again, a, a real kind of nothing first half. Both of these teams in bad, bad form coming into it. And it showed Duke with a goal in the first half that was ruled out, uh, ruled out for offside by VAR. Eventually, we get the breakthrough in 74 minutes. Duke played in by Bajewin's little back heel flick. Uh, Duke prodding home and then he gets his second a few minutes later. Quite how he's the one who ends up with the ball in his head, I'm not entirely sure, but he does from a Hayes corner to make it 2-0. <laughs> and then we looked at that point to at least have arrested the slump, but we, I mean, we were desperately needing something to go for us. We get the win. Hearts drew with St. Minnan uh, 1-1, I think, that day. So the gap to third was cut to three points. And suddenly you were like, okay, well, maybe that blip is hopefully over and we can just kick on here. We actually haven't ended up being massively out of the running here for third. This is it, and... It's it's so weird. Like I, I've literally just spoken about being in a doom spiral for the Ross County game, and yet <laughs> Graham Shinney's back, and we're beating St Johnston two 0 at home. Um, I, I I was delighted, delighted when the news that Graham Shinney was rejoining the club came through. I I thought there was a lot of what I perceived as strange cynicism from certain sects of the fans. Um, I saw some people on Twitter talking about this bloke like he was 42 years old, past it, because he's been playing in England for a couple of years or whatever, whatever. And to me, that was a really bizarre reaction. Uh, and to see him kind of slot in the team and, and still be Graham Shinney, being really annoying for opposition players and seemingly developing a pretty decent understanding with Ramadani in the middle right away. Yeah. Um, was, nice, was, was just... It reminded me of the good old days, momentarily at the very least. But yeah, I mean, still some concerning stuff in this game for sure. Um, Miofsky in particular, missing some big chances yeah. early on. And it's like, we know his composure can be an issue. He's obviously capable of some wonderful stuff that we'll we'll talk about in 
other games. Not this um, one. <laughs> no, certainly not. Um, so, you know, still some warning signs. Nowhere near enough to 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 go, oh, season saved. Here we go. Let's yeah. do it. We're, we're going in Europe, all of this. Um, um, I, before the first goal as well, it felt like we were maybe on the verge of a, a Goodwin-esque kind of collapse. We yeah. were about to be Thanos snapped into a defeat somehow. Um but after that, I mean, the first one went in and there was no real trouble after that, if I'm recalling correctly. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, Graham Shinney can have my house if he wants, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was one of those, again, it was like Bajewin came off the bench and played all right, I thought, in this one. And this is where the whole Bajewin seemed to suffer, particularly, I think, with Goodwin after the Tarandice game. Yeah. Um. Where Goodwin just clearly decided he didn't trust him any longer to do any kind of um, defensive work, and I think there's been there's been a lot of stuff said about Bichel, and there's been a lot of stuff hinted at as well. And I think there's probably grains of truth in some of the stuff that I think he's a guy who always likes to be having a joke around the dressing room. And I think there's a lot of he's good in the dressing room, I think, but I think there's also times where he struggles to knuckle down. Yeah, and I think that was driving Goodwin up the wall potentially a little bit. It'll be interesting to see what Barry Robson can do with him. Um, I'm presuming that Excelsior are not going to take up their option to purchase him, excuse me, based on the injuries that he had at the back end of last season with them. But this is an example of a game where he can come on and he can kind of do something a little bit off the cuff. It's, it's quite a nice little back heel into Duke's path. Mm-hmm. And we were struggling big time. And you, in Scotland, you need players like that sometimes who can just unlock a defence all of a sudden with one moment of magic. Absolutely. He's the kind of player that... You know, your old da five rows back at the game will shout and scream at all mm. all game long for, you know, not being perceived to be working as hard as Graham Shinney or or whoever you want to name. Um, but you know, we're we're gonna be playing with imperfect pieces with the budgets and the, the level we play at. And I'm always glad to have a player who can conjure something like this. Like we've got a bunch of them now in yeah. the team, and it's great. Obviously, people like Duke are a lot more consistent. Um but they they have that bit of audacity in them, and 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 they can do stuff like this, and that's why that's really what we needed in this exact scenario as well. Given that we were starting to look a bit shaky before we finally put the ball in the back of the net, I'd be very happy to see what Barry Robson can do with Vinny next season. And we all had such, I think, relatively high hopes for him at the start mm-hmm. of the season. It didn't really pan out, of course, but. But I mean, look at the turnaround. Obviously, completely different position. But Kelrus, we just spoke about yeah. him. Like, how many of these players look completely different under this new regime? Yeah, I'm excited, like yourself, to see what the coaching staff can can do with him. Absolutely, a much needed win, not just in the league, but obviously because we're heading into League Cup semi final at Hamden the following week. Um, we lined up at Hamden with the same starting lineup with the one that faced St Johnston. New light, new loan signing Patrick Mislovich on the bench in place of Shaden Morris. Sevco, in fairness to them, came into this one in fine form after McBeal had taken over. They were without defeat since he replaced um, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. And after what was a bit of an iffy opening, 10 of 10, 15 minutes, we kind of grew into this one. Miofsky with a ridiculous finish on 11 minutes, which was ruled out for offside before we finally did take the lead just on halftime. Fantastic work by Matt Kennedy up the right to chase down a long diagonal after Miofsky realised he was offside and held his run. Kennedy crossing in for Boyan to definitely touch home. And in kind of the most unlikely of circumstances, given everything in the run-up to this game, Aberdeen were a goal to the good of the break. And at that point, I was kind of pinching myself a little bit, I'm not going to lie. You should have been. I was in the exact same boat, man. Like, again, we played relatively well against Rangers in the previous fixture spot. 
in the previous fixture, sorry. Um, but here we are, semi-final. We're 1-0 up. Graham Shinney's back. I'm going to mention that in every game because <laughs> it made my it was like such a ray of hope. And you know, we we said some people in the squad said some pretty dumb things about Rangers forwards in the in the build-up to this game, but you know, you're sitting there and at halftime, you're like, okay, it doesn't matter. We're backing it up. We're backing it up, boys. But you should always know better. <laughs> indeed, indeed, you should. In the second half, we're still carrying a bit of a threat and defending all right, but it wasn't this kind of backs to the wall Celtic or last 30 minutes of Pataudry kind of situation. Um, a deflected effort from a former Aberdeen player drew the size level before. We had that mad period we talked about with Johnny and with Beth the day. We had that mad period where VAR was no longer working. Yeah. But we played on anyway for 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Which was a bit odd. I still don't fathom how that can be a thing. I, I would have yeah. thought you'd have to just go, you know what? We need to stop for 10 minutes until this gets fixed. But never mind. Then, then things go all wrong again. Um, Anthony Stewart is showing a straight red card <laughs> right on the stroke of full time. And trust me, you didn't need VAR to review this one. I was sitting, I think, on the moon based on where my seat at Hamden was. And even I turned to Gavin at the time and was like, I think that's probably a red card. I don't think I can really argue with that one. Let's call it misjudged and mistimed. Yes. Or dumb as fuck. One of the two. <laughs> Challenge on Fashion's car, who was going nowhere on the touchline. Nick Walsh, without any hesitation to think about sending him off. Roof then with the winner in the first period of extra time as we started to tire. Although we nearly matched four as an equaliser deep in extra time through Hayden Coulson, who nice. decided to just go on a mad, long bursting wrong in the last minute. But there we go. It wasn't to be slipping out the League Cup. And I actually thought we kind of played quite well on the day and I thought we were a little bit unlucky. The deflected goal um, for the equaliser, uh, you know, nothing Kelders can do about that. But holy shit, the, the decision by Anthony Stewart to dive in on that challenge on Sakala, just madness. Yeah, the, the this was a... Uh... It's very, very rare that I get so annoyed about football these days that I want to tweet about it. And yet here we are. <laughs> um, this was like in general, this was some performance from Stuart as well, because he had the handball from an attacking corner as well. And it's like, I, I don't think it's just his limbs that were replaced during the during the break. I think his, yeah. his entire cognitive system must have been <laughs> rewired in some way, the poor guy. Um I, no idea. Like, there's no point in me even trying to think what was going through his head in this situation. And then, you know, the irony of us actually rallying relatively well after it and, you know, producing a, a collector's item, a good save from Alan McGregor at this stage in his career, um, was quite something to live through. But yeah, th if you want to talk about one individual moment of madness from one human being, costing us a game here you are no need whatsoever and uh i think it kind of probably sealed the fate on on mr stewart's long-term aberdeen future yeah i think so i think i remember talking about it on the way up the road we did we did this ridiculously stupid podcast recording on the way home from the game in the car which was a fucking joy in itself but i think i said at the time i never want to see him play for the club ever again after that that's just so stupid and it's one of those even if it was like a young, inexperienced player, right? I'd find it hard to defend because, yeah, Sakala's going nowhere. And it's at such a critical moment in the game. Like, we're just about to get into extra time, regroup, go again. But for a guy who, what is he, 31? Yeah, 32. Not ancient. Experienced, obviously, the first time he's ever probably played in such a massive occasion as that. But uh, just a proper heads gone moment. Just uh, 
I will defend Aberdeen players with my red tinted glasses till the nth degree, and I will argue, you know, the the toss about whether a tackle is or isn't a red card, when it's borderline, and sometimes even when it is, right? But that one, like I say, I, like <clears throat> we were in the what would it be uh, East Stand, and let's like say like so far away from the pitch, it's not even funny, and it happened at the opposite end of the park, and it's like I can see from here that's a red, like there's just no danger that he's going to get away with that, and <clears throat> just absolute sheer fucking stupidity um it also marked the final appearance of christian ramirez came off the bench for extra time confirmed then a couple of days later that he'd be heading back to the u.s to join the columbus crew 60 appearances for the aberdeen in total 18 goals 15 of them though came in the first season where he played 45 times but let's be honest you touched on it earlier on this was a saga that dragged on from pretty much the moment stephen glass departed yeah. the club right the way through the summer into the January window, it was absolutely best for all concerned that he departed stage left. Absolutely. I mean, in an ideal world, it would have happened much sooner. Um, I wonder if it was maybe not finding the suitors or maybe it was Goodwin in all his hubris thinking he could do with somewhat, he could turn around the guy who'd mentally checked out or maybe we need. he thought we needed the body at centre forward or whatever. But yeah, I mean, his career at Aberdeen effectively came to an end the moment he jumped onto Twitter and whipped and you know <laughs> did what he did uh, in the wake of of Stephen Glass's departure and it's a shame because he, he looked like a really effective penalty box center forward at this level for several several months um, but then it became abundantly clear that from his body language on the pitch not just the 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 the, the media stuff um that this was a marriage doomed to end. And it dragged on and on and on. Poor bugger. But hey, we got we got there in the end. Yeah, and we don't need to cover all ground on this one again, because I could be here for a long, long time. Now, <clears throat> despite it being a, an encouraging performance against uh, Rangers of Hamden, ultimately it did mean that we were one win in seven after the World Cup break. We were slipping down the table. We were now out of the League Cup, which, of course, these were the things that we were all hanging on to going into the World Cup break. A huge week then coming up on the horizon with two trips to Edinburgh and a cup game at Darville sandwiched in between. And that will do us for the first half of the show. Join us after the break as we look back on that week in January. What a great way to lead in. <laughs> <laughs> Done my very best Netflix there, haven't I? Like, Sensational stuff. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street. Aberdeen Siberia Bar like us all are praying for European nights this summer with the end of the season looming and the prospect of a big summer at the Tawdry on the horizon make a night of it by visiting the bar pre and post match grabbing some cheap drinks using the ABZ pod discount and even better stay in the hotel after a big night of celebrations and get 15% off your stay in the hotel by booking direct to the Siberia Bar Hotel and using the code ABZPOD Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Uh, before we move on to the second half of part three of our 2022-2023 end of season review, just a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund. We see you, we acknowledge you, your bread is appreciated if you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffee or alternatively, 
just pay the hosting fees head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash abz football podcast the link is in the description shout us that beer or coffee it's absolutely much appreciated so andy before the break we are one win in seven after the defeated uh, Hamden to Rangers in the League Cup semi-final. Massive week ahead. Trips to Tynecastle, Darvo and Hibs on the horizon. First up, a first visit of the campaign to Gorgie for a midweek game under the lights. Now, I'll be honest, I remember talking about the preview for this one, being massively anxious slash shitting myself about the fact we'd had to go extra time on an energy-sapping pitch against Rangers on the Sunday, having to play Hearts, who were going really well at this point. On the Wednesday night, Joe Lewis coming in for the injured Kel Roos. Uh, Tony Stewart dropping out due to suspension, which meant Johnny Hayes came in. Tom Ritchie, Dante Polvar and Alfie Babbage all on the bench as our squad is getting stretched to breaking point. And let's just be pretty frank about it. A horror show of an evening in Gorgie. Hearts four goals up at the break. Devlin making it five just after the, half hour, after the hour mark. A truly awful performance. And I feel like I've said that about every performance after the World Cup here. But this one was a real stinker. Hearts not even having to play well to get goals yeah. here. And the final one from Devlin is an embarrassment as he simply saunters past Scales and McCrory. Hearts then with a nine-point gap to the Dons after this one. This one for me was the absolute end point for Goodwin. I think, in my eyes, no Aberdeen manager can survive a 4-0 at Tanadice on its own, let alone add a 5-0 at Tynecastle in the same season. Um, couple that with the Celtic performance, the way we capitulated against Strangers at home. For me, time was up. The worst thing is, we all thought this would be the worst of it, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is it. Like, the, the the situation with this game is, I think it's kind of, it's a perfect microcosm of his reign as a whole in terms of, you know, not awful performances in the couple of games leading into this, you know, not great or whatever, but, you know, the win against St. Johnson and then doing okay against Rangers until... Mr. Stewart happens, of course. And you think, okay, well, maybe there's some signs of progress here. Maybe this is the start of something. And yet, in every single instance of this happening, when Jim Goodwin was manager, it was followed by something like this. And of course, contextually, this one's a lot worse because you know it's 5-0, it's away from home, whatever. But it's also the team that we were theoretically still chasing at the time. And really, the... the, the you said it best, they beat us 5-0 at a complete canter. It's not like they were so irresistible that, that we just, we couldn't deal with them or whatever. It was a shambolic, it was a complete capitulation from a team that had unquestionably given up hope on every single level. I don't think a single thing went right. And again, it's another night that brings you back to the awful quote about the defence being easy to fix and everything else, but it's okay. It's okay because in a couple of days we're going to play this fifth-year side in the cup. And that'll be a nice little morale booster. Yeah, like I say, we all <laughs> thought this would be the worst of it. Um, unbelievably, it isn't. Monday, the twenty-third of January, twenty twenty-three. A, a, a date that will live long in the memory, I think, for every Aberdeen fan, for all of the wrong reasons. As we entered the fortieth anniversary year of the club's greatest achievements came the biggest humiliation the club had ever suffered. A first Scottish Cup tie against non-league opposition in 52 years after a 5-0 win over then Highland League Elgin City. That saw Aberdeen travel to East Ayrshire to take on West of Scotland Premier Division, and that's Tier 6 in the Scottish footballing hierarchy for anyone that needs reminding. Um, those of us who've seen Aberdeen over the years know that this is not a tie to be taken lightly. Uh, Darvel under the stewardship of uh, John Gall had spent decent money 
to kind of attract League One, League Two standard players to Darvel. They'd comfortably humped League One side Montrose at Lynx Park by five goals to two in the third round. So there were reasons to be cautious about this one going in. But that said, with a point to prove, you'd expect surely to Christ we'd be strong enough to take on these plucky juniors, wouldn't we, Andy? <laughs> this, what do you, where do you even begin with this, man? Honestly, like everyone in my office is a big bollocks English football fan, right? So they've all got certain biases against other levels and everything, you know, that's not top tier as a farmer's league or whatever. Yeah. But we were speaking about this game beforehand and, you know, they were looking up the stadium and going, is that stand just a bank of grass? And, well, they've only yes. got 30 seats and all of this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, there's a, a lot of snobbery coming out, which try to avoid when you're actually involved in this scenario because stuff like this can happen. And, <laughs> you know, we're, so we're all having a bit of a laugh about it in the day. And I was like, don't worry, boys, there's no way we can lose this. We could, <laughs> classic kind of arrogance, uh, you know, we could play our youth team and 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 beat them, whatever. Yeah, we got beat 5-0 by hearts, but there's levels, there's levels. And, you know, even if they score early, they might, you know, the classic lower league playing against a higher caliber of opposition, they're fired up. Maybe they get a goal early. That's fine. There's still 70 minutes to go. We can, you know, superior coaching, superior training facilities, the benefit of full-time exposure to training and fitness levels and just quality and everything else, it'll pay off. It's inevitable. It's totally fine. Don't worry about it. And then that exact thing happened. They scored within like 20 odd minutes and I wasn't worried at all. I was, I was sitting there thinking this will be totally fine. We've got 70 minutes and it turned out to be the most listless Aberdeen performance. Well, I mean, ever really, what do you do? What do you do in a thing like this? You'd you'd expect Darville to come out and you know raise their game. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. How can that? How could that not happen? You know, if they wow. came out and they they did a, they did Goodwin versus Celtic, you know, that, <laughs> that would be that would be something else. It's the bit. It's their big game and all of this stuff. Blah 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 blah. And it ultimately turned into the kind of result where when you were a kid. And something like this happened. You try and fake a sick day rather than go to school and, and face all the glory hunting Rangers fans <laughs> at a Boyne Academy. Um, <laughs> what, what a nightmare. What a night- but the thing is, like, I was watching this. I This match drew a completely unique reaction out of me. I spent most of this match laughing <laughs> and smiling because what else can you do, right? We've just been pumped 5-0 by hearts. We're out of the cup because our captain is completely insane. Um... We're losing 1-0 to a junior team. And we're entering just a completely pathetic performance with no fight, no response, no attempt to react to the fact that we're 1-0 down, no attempt to even pass the ball around. Lower-level players who are maybe, you know, not as disciplined positionally and tactical and all of this stuff. We're just not, we're not trying anything. Nobody looks like they have a clue what they're doing. Doing, I know. you have to laugh it's it's cliched in a lot of ways you can laugh or you can cry this is just what naturally poured out of me I think if I was angry about it I'd have probably taken about five years off my life um a farce a total farce I mean it's that thing isn't it like there was no excuses here like the pitch at Darvel was pristine perfect it wasn't one of these like lower league tatty fields where you could say, okay, well, the ball bobbed up over somebody and they got in and they just, they, they had one shot and go and that's what happened. We never got going. I mean, you would expect, I mean, this is the thing for me, is like, 
you know, Mick Kennedy was doing his fucking Braveheart speech in the home dressing room. But for Aberdeen, it was like, for me, it was always just like, all the pressure's on us, right? All, it absolutely is. For us, you just have to get out there, get your foot on the ball, knock the ball around for the first 15, 20 minutes, take the sting out of the kind of, out of them. Don't give them any sort of encouragement. Just be professional, you know? And then we just never got going. Uh, the deflected goal past Joe Lewis. Poor Joe Lewis, man. Like, honestly, like, yeah. for, for what a great servant Joe Lewis has been to the football club over the years, the chances are his last handful of games in an Aberdeen shirt are going to be these ones. And, um, you know, we just, like I say, we just don't get going. In the end, it's the biggest upset in 149 years of Scottish Cup history, undoubtedly. Notwithstanding the fact that there's a Miofsky goal in the second half that gets incorrectly ruled out for offside, and maybe the game does change at that point. But that shouldn't cloud over the fact that this was fucking ludicrous on so many different levels. I mean, I still look back at this now and I go, I can't believe Goodwin benched Miofsky and Shinny for the start of the game. Shinny doesn't even come off the bench in this game, which for me shows a level of arrogance about a progression in the tie. And I don't know if that permeates the squad. Don't get me wrong. There was still enough in that first team that played that night to win this game. It was a strange decision to give Patrick Mislovich his debut, I thought, in this one. Yeah. Just, I'm not sure that's the right place to decide to give a completely untested youngster in the middle of the park a first dib. I mean... Goodwin looked haunted after this game, and rightly so. And then he's appealing for calm and remaining insistent that he's the man to stay on. But, I mean, the writing had to be in the wall, didn't it, at that point? It, it had to be. Unquestionably, and it's it, it's such... A, th- this next few days here, such a peculiar... Oh, it was amazing. We're going to come on the detail in the next few days. Oh, incredible. Incredible stuff just across the board, and... You know, there. Even when you 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 try to analyze this on a football level, yeah, their their keeper had a few decent saves here and there, but I think we only had two or three shots on target. And mm-hmm. and was it was it Duke who had the chance late on and he missed it? And he 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 didn't look he didn't look you know determined to turn it around or anything. He didn't look like he was pissed off with himself. He looked like he was having trouble comprehending what was occurring yeah. around him at the same time. And look, it's not like he entered a vintage performance, right? Nobody did in this game. But yeah, Shinny not having any kind of role whatsoever is just completely baffling. Considering what he is, yeah. he, you know, he's the first name on the team sheet in, in, in most games, but particularly one like this where you really need to stamp your authority on it. And uh, all the usual, you know, cliche stuff, credit to Darville. Uh, and and whatever else and you know but from our standpoint a team full of professional footballers entering this performance you could have melted them all down and turned them into shoes afterwards and i don't think many people would have complained (laughs) (laughs) i mean fans are clamoring for the head of manager and also his idiot sidekick lee sharp most fans wouldn't let them back in the bus north um, we maybe would have dropped them off in the Glasgow area to return home as a consolation prize. For hours and hours and hours, I feel like Aberdeen fans were re- refreshing the official site and Twitter for that token image of the corner flag and confirmation that he'd been dispatched. And then nothing. Yeah. And then after a little while longer, still nothing. Inexplicable. It, it took 48 hours for that notification to click in on Twitter. And then when it did... Well, fucking holy shit. <laughs> it, it now seems so long ago, and it's only a matter of what, 
Five months? I, yeah. Um, it seems so long ago that the ridiculousness of this moment has perhaps been somewhat forgotten. Um, so let's just refresh our memories, shall we? The Dawn's website leading with a statement from the chairman, which read, we all recognise that Monday's disastrous result in the Scottish Cup was totally unacceptable. It added insult to injury after such a poor result against Hearts following what was a strong performance in the semi-final against Rangers at Hamden. The Football Monitoring Board, comprising Stuart Mill, Willie Garner, Stephen Gunn and me, have now, <laughs> have now had a full and frank meeting with Jim. It wasn't an easy conversation, but necessary after the overall poor results since the World Cup break. From our wider discussions over the last few days, we believe the senior players are behind the manager. Combined with our discussions at today's meeting, Jim will be in the dugout on Saturday. However, to be clear, Jim has been left in no doubt that the board... I presume also the football monitoring board, he doesn't talk about them again. <laughs> and the fans are seeking an immediate response from him and the players. So for such a short statement, so much to unpack. What, what, what a season, man. What a season. This for me was probably, it, it, it took the weird sensation of laughing at the Darville game to a completely yeah. different level. It's, we, we've, we've become, we've become concomitant. You know, we've become... Yeah. We've become Brendan Rodgers on that Liverpool documentary calling Joe Allen the Welsh shabby, except it's worse because we've just been beaten by an amateur side. <laughs> I mean, firstly, the very fact that losing to fucking Darvel in and of itself was not deemed to be serious enough to warrant sacking Goodwin. Let alone the fact it came off the back of a run of one in nine. Let alone the fact that it comes off the back of being scudded at Tynecastle as well. All of that. I remember in the first part, I just being like, what do you have to do now to be sacked as Aberdeen manager? <laughs> What, what does Jim Goodwin know about you that is preventing this decision? <laughs> it's just bad. Like, the, this is the point where I, I I was certain that this season was being scripted by an AI because, <laughs> like, we, it, 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 unfathomable. I mean, you know, the football monitoring board things, I really, it's a good laugh. And, you know, everyone else in the entire country has continued having a good laugh about it at our expense. But you get to the end of it and it's like, we've told that Jim that this is not acceptable and it can't continue and all of this stuff. And it's like, okay, so you're already hanging some kind of sword over his head, right? Like you verbalize that. Now you've put that out there into the world. Everyone knew it already. And (laughs) you can't like you as a a regime, as an FMB cannot come back from that either. Even if you go on a couple of wins or whatever, that statement exists. It's out there. You can't delete it. You can't take it off the website. It's, well, I mean, I guess they could. Uh, <laughs> they haven't, though. It's still there. <laughs> I, should, I, I might get it framed or something. Actually, yeah. honestly, honestly, you boys should make that uh, that 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 NWO logo that emerged on Twitter the other day yeah. into a T-shirt because I would hundred percent wear it. It's sensational. It's, it's happening. It is happening. <laughs> um, all I could think at the time was one: if none of this is a sackable offence, I can see an unfair dismissal claim being fired in right now by Stephen Glass. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And then also too is what you said. Not that it was being scripted by AI, but were we secretly like having a like fly in the wall documentary for Netflix going on that we didn't know anything about, but that's what was happening here because this is just fucking nuts. The the proclamation so the first part's crazy that we haven't actually sacked him. Then the proclamation of the forming of the football monitoring board. Now let's just talk about this again for a minute or two, because at the time it was just like, what is going on? What the fuck is happening? They comprise three individuals who have no footballing experience whatsoever. Dave Cormack, Stuart Mill, and Stephen Gunn. And then Willie Garner. And now, Willie, 
bless him, his, his coaching career at an elite level, and I say that in the kindest possible way in top flight Scottish football, that ended nigh on 40 years prior to this. And of course, this also pulled into sharp focus once again Stephen Gunn's role all the more, because presumably the director of football should just be doing what the football monitoring board are doing, <laughs> aren't they? <laughs> What did they think they were like? Whoever scripted this, whoever put this together, what what did they think that that adding this line about the football monitoring board would achieve? Did did they think that oh, football monitor that sounds serious? They're monitoring the football. <laughs> they fucking should be monitoring the football, shouldn't they? Well, we'll, we'll buy into this, lads. It's fine. We've got this sorted. <laughs> Who's doing the PR? Like. <laughs> I know uh, it was that moment where I was like, if they thought that that was going to like reassure me somehow, it's yeah. done the complete opposite. Uh, it's a good job. Who's that lad on? They used to do the statement league on Twitter, man. Because oh, uh, yeah. right near the top of the pile, this would be just. Oh, this would be home and away the, the league league winner by a long, <laughs> long shot. I mean, the questions that this brought, uh, just just like I say, it's such a short statement, but the number of questions I was left with, and then the memes, right? Oh, I the memes. Plentiful. Is it fair to say, and I think it is, this is the most mental 40 hours in Aberdeen Football Club's long, illustrious history? Oh, unquestionably, unquestionably. And it, the fact that it is sandwiched between the two games against the Edinburgh clubs as well, it's it's kind of... It's kind of beautiful in a way when you think about it, right? <laughs> like, how, how could hell be any worse <laughs> than this? <laughs> And, and then they keep him on as manager, and he doesn't get sacked. And what then, the fuck? <laughs> and then there was all the rumors, like the decision had been made by to sack Goodwin by the board, or Milne and Gunn wanted to sack him, but Cormac wanted to keep him. And then it was the other way round, and who knows what? And then they talked to the players, and I think the players were just being polite to Dave and be like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, Dave, no worries. I don't want to say sack him because you might tell him I said to sack him, and he might be here tomorrow. So I'm just going to say, yeah, I'm behind him." Yeah. Yeah, this guy I have to see every single day. Oh, yeah, no worries. Uh, I thought we'd kind of, as a football club, got away from being a laughing stock of Scottish football for a while. And then we were right fucking back at the epicenter of all over again, weren't we? Absolutely. It's, it, we're going to look back upon this in like five years and have the best time ever reviewing this stuff. Um, I kind of feel like I am now, to be honest. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Already there, brother. Um <laughs> I, I, man, like, it literally could not have gone any worse on any level. The memes were popping for me. The memes were tremendous. Was it Fitbit tweets? Did we draw yeah. in a Cormac with the, the bugly eyes? I was like, you've captured his essence perfectly here, the poor guy. I think I've got um, the mug. I've got a football monitoring board mug, which is like the daftest <laughs> thing. So I take it to work and people just look at it like, what's that? And I'm like, that doesn't matter. It's very niche. <laughs> This is well. This is the kind of stuff that we laugh about other clubs. It yeah, is, I know. You know, this is this is the old thing, like the the the, the cow and beef groundskeeper trying to melt frost on the pitch with a kettle. Like <laughs> this is our version of that. Twenty odd years later, it's just. But bloody hell, we were European champions forty years ago. <laughs> I know, I know. What I liked about this as well though, was they actually kept the FMB thing going because when there was all the chat about the trying to find a successor. They kept it running, and I was like, yeah. at, least, "At least you know what? they're running with it now, right? They've decided this is a thing, and they're going with it." So, did they file a trademark application? I hope they did. <laughs> I hope they did. <laughs> oh no, I hope they didn't because those t-shirts are going to sell like fucking hotcakes. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we trudged onwards. Um, this time to <laughs> Easter Road, 
face a hip side who had the exact same record as us, two wins in their last 10. In classic wrestling style, this was billed as Loser Leaves Town, El Sacchio, Lee Johnson versus Jim Goodwin. The, the match itself felt like a sideshow to just which one of these idiots is getting sacked, right? And I remember laughing at the time saying, it'll be nil-nil and they'll both stumble on, right? <laughs> well, that's not what happened. Um, fucking hell, Hib 6, Aberdeen nil. Campbell with a hat-trick. We've made Josh Campbell look like Zinedine Zidane this season. <laughs> Johan Nisbet and Will Fish rounding off a truly, truly horrendous week. Liam Scales with his second red card this season at Easter Road to top it off. I actually, and you love this, I put myself back through the ringer of watching pretty big chunks of this game last night to prepare for this. Yes. I've not seen the goal since the day of the game because why would I want to watch them again? Let alone pretty much watch the entire game. Holy shit, I'd forgotten just how bad all of these goals are. <laughs> Three of them are free headers at corners. Nisbets is hilariously shit from Hayden Coulson. And he doesn't even, like, he just gets spun or he misses it and he just lies down on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't even gap and chase back. Wait, well, he eventually does, but he just kind of, like, lies there for a bit. Just could take a nap. Aye. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> fucking hell. Like, after all the dilly dallying through after the Darvel game, it took less than 20 minutes after the full time whistle. For the Don's Twitter account to confirm that Goodwin and Sharp were gone with a, what had been a clearly prepared tweet ready for the inevitable to be launched. Um, and to top off the week, Goodwin departs over the pitch, louping an advertiser hoarding <laughs> before, Dave, before Dave Cormack had to front up to the media crying and providing more memes whilst he was at it. I mean, for a club who, for a club who tries to hold ourselves... To like high standards and like a level of dignity. And I'm going to absolutely steal this line from the thick of it and I make no apologies for it. Instead of us calling Dignitas, this was the equivalent of calling Indignitas, wasn't it? It was like <laughs> being shoved out of a window by somebody dressed as a clown. <laughs> it was just, I mean, like, I can't even compose myself thinking about all of all this. Of the whole package surrounding this game. El Sakic, oh my God's sake. <laughs> I love Scottish football. It's the fucking best. It's the best league in the world, man. It's the best league in the world. And we were the protagonists in that for a good few weeks here in January. Um, I mean... We mocked, up a, we mocked up a hell in a cell graphic. Yeah. With Johnson and Goodwin's faces superimposed on, I don't know who it was. And the kind of the opposition made it perfect as well because Lee Johnson is a buffoon of a human being, <laughs> an absolute fanny of a boy, and, and somehow has outlasted Robbie Nielsen and Jim Goodwin this season. Yeah, insane, insane. I work with a good few Sunderland fans uh, <laughs> who warned me about Lee Johnson, and uh, I honestly I like having him in the league because he's got that used car salesman kind of. <laughs> vibe about him he's you know there's photos of him out drinking in edinburgh like the night before a game and all this stuff he he thinks he's carlo ancelotti or something you know and <laughs> and he's he's in positions like this and it's inexplicable in so many ways that this game would finish six nil to anybody <laughs> given how inept both sides looked and i was speaking briefly uh, in the build-up to this to gav from the hibs talk podcast who shouts to him, big wrestling fan. That's how we that's how we got talking about stuff. And we were just joking about neither of us wanting to win, basically. And like, you know, take the defeat. Get the manager gone. You can start afresh. You can build something new from that. 
And uh, I think I jokingly said something along the lines of, ah, we'll probably lose 4-0. Thinking that was way too high, because how could him score four times in this day? <laughs> and then this happened. And then, like, him trudging across the, the pitch as we fold her under his arm. And then, he, you know, a couple of months later, after he gets the Dundee United job or whatever, he's, he's talking about, oh, my car was parked over there. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. And I, I feel bad laughing about some of this now, because like, I said at the time, like, I don't doubt for a moment that Cormac, like, <laughs> is a is a genuine Aberdeen fan and he wants it to work. And that was that moment where it was like, he's genuinely feeling, he's genuinely yeah. hurting about this. But at the same time... It was so fucking like cringeworthy and horrendous watching your chairman basically just crying on TV. Crying <laughs> on the telly. It was like there, 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 there is the human aspect of this whole yeah. thing. Uh, you know, when you strip away the, the best part of all this, which is the banner, it's 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 pretty unforgivable that Jim Goodwin was in the dugout for this game, of course, for, for a number of reasons, for footballing reasons, but just on a, a basic level of decency, why would you put the man through this? Like, why would you put him in this position after you've already effectively said in your football monitoring board thing that if he breathes incorrectly, he's going to be gone? Yeah. Just put the man out of his misery. It hasn't worked. I don't blame him for not resigning to severance packages. When you're in his situation and you're wondering where the next job's going to be after this disaster, ultimately, <laughs> look, look what happened. Um, you know, you wouldn't walk away from it, no matter how much pride, level of pride you have, if you're in yeah. this situation, I don't think. So, I just don't understand why, in that situation, after Darville, right, he just didn't go to Cormac and just say, look, yes, Ackman. Yeah. Right. And 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 have it done with because at the end of the day, that's how it was all gonna end. I mean, we touched on it earlier on. He was a man condemned from the moment that well, he was a man condemned as far as I'm concerned. Now we're looking back at it from Tanadice, right? Tynecastle was the same. Darvel, he was never gonna recover from. Even if we'd won at Easter Road, it would have taken two bad results and he had to be he would have had to have been gone at that point anyway. And I kind of because Gavin Graham couldn't be here, I I, I quickly messaged him and said, look, just I think it's important because we, we kind of I think we glossed over a lot of this at the time and it's that retrospect thing. So I was like, boys, just go back and just have a think about what your you know your thoughts about January was. And Gav kind of messaged earlier on just saying, like, you know, in terms of the post World Cup stuff, terrible. The players have a lot to answer for in that. Um, as do Co- Goodwin and the coaching staff. But but Gav's kind of view is that the chief culprits still remain the FMB, despite how well things have gone since Robson came in. As well as since Burroughs has come in, I think it shouldn't be forgotten the absence of concern they seem to hold the fans in by mm-hmm. sending a lame duck manager to Easter Road to take the inevitable scudding that we did. I don't know if it was an inevitable scudding because, as you say, it could have very easily ended up nil nil, but that's exactly what happened. Um, and Graham's right, Graham's kind of similar said, you know, like, Gooden should never have made it to Easter Road. And whilst the shot of him jumping the board is kind of funny, it doesn't portray the family club that we claim to be. So it's a poor look, poor look from the FMB. Yeah. on that one all around and that's exactly it isn't it it's, I, I remember I was on I got called I think to go on sports scene or sport whatever it is on Radio Scotland before the game mm-hmm. and everybody was talking about it was, you know we were talking with, with Tom English with, with um, Michael Stewart and I was like because they were trying to say to me well, what do you think that means and I was like it doesn't mean anything this statement they've put out he's, he's a goner Yeah, it's just a matter of when and not if any longer you know and Yes, what does it mean? Like I say, there was no need for things to get to the point it did, was there really? Let's, let's be honest. Yeah, they, they they hung him out to dry to an extreme degree. Um, obviously, he hung himself out 
to dry in many, many ways with yes. his naivety as manager and all the things we've we've been discussing for the past hour or so. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like I was watching, I remember watching the because the Cormac, the famous TDI promo after the game. It's like it's this is such a complicated thing to unpack, isn't it? Because yeah. it is inherently funny that your chairman is on the telly basically crying about about something that is inherently his fault. Yes. Not not been in the boy off and and, and and the FMB and all of this stuff. At the same time, he's a man who has obviously made decisions with Jim Goodwin prior to this game that have hurt something, the football club, that he clearly loves very dearly. And he's made humongous mistakes. And this is him on television publicly <laughs> letting all of that flood out of him. Yeah. And I did feel a degree of empathy beyond the obvious <laughs> the aesthetic of the whole thing. Yeah, 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 I get it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I know. It's it's true. It's, it's so complex. It's so complex, this whole thing. But ultimately, I will remember it as really funny. Sorry, Dave. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, things that have happened after this game and the appointment of Burroughs and various other yeah. uh, ways the club is run. And it's clear that Dave was doing far too much. And a lot of what he was doing was not working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't fault the man's, you know, personal levels of investment in Aberdeen Football Club. And I think it's it's good in a lot of ways that we have someone at the top who does have that level of attachment. But yeah. for me, this was a lot of the naivety in Dave Cormack kind of fading away. And um, I, I, hope he, I hope he's able to laugh at this himself in the future um, because... A real turn. This interview in itself was a pretty big turning point, I think, and uh, great box office. But oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's the thing, is it? I think as well. Um, I wonder if it was a realization he was too involved. Yeah, and it was the first time I think we'd even seen that level of humility from Cormac and admitting that it was on him mm -hmm. as well. I think it's the first time we've ever seen that from him. Um, but yeah, also kind of funny. So. <laughs> Certainly, certainly in retrospect now, it wouldn't have been funny if we'd ended up getting relegated, obviously. Aye. Um, the fact we still somehow came back from this is the bit that makes this all worthwhile. Um, but there we go. The Jimmy Calder, the Jimmy Caldwood, the Jimmy Goodwin experience over <laughs> less than a year in the job. Um, an overall record of played 43, 117, drew eight, lost 18, which gave him a win percentage of 40%. But those stats are a little bit padded out by the League Cup group stages. In the league, in the league, played thirty-five, won eleven, drew seven, lost seventeen, four forty-five against fifty-six. Remember that easy to fix defence. Uh, that <laughs> that gives a league win percentage of just thirty-one percent, which mirrored that of his predecessor Stephen Glass. It's the same as Eb Scovedal. Only Alex Miller, Mark McGee, and Craig Brown have got lower win percentages as manager of Aberdeen Football Club in the league in our entire history. And what's quite worrying about that is they're all in the last what thirty years. This is it. This is it. And, um, uh, we can only hope that Jim Goodwin one day gives us a moment as beautiful as Mark McGee storming up the the, the stand and shouting at the boy in his future. But it won't be next season. <laughs> you got there before me. Um, we've talked about this a lot before in the show, but in retrospect at this point now for you as well, a horrendous disappointment in the first place should never have happened anyway. Yeah. And the results just kind of bore that out, didn't it? Let's, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was 
when Jim Goodwin was appointed, I wouldn't say I was buzzing or anything along those lines, but I was quite keen for us to take a chance on him with the way the trajectory of his career up to that point kind of made sense uh, to me. Maybe Aberdeen, maybe a level too far. Well, I mean, ultimately that was proved, but at the time I felt like he was somebody at least worth investing a bit of time into. Uh, and it all turned out to be a crock of shit, obviously. And then you, you wonder as well, despite his emotional outpouring and everything else, you wonder a lot about <laughs> Cormac and the FMB's ability to find the successor as well, because yeah. he hired his mate, Stephen Glass, and then he hired Goodwin and two just guys way out of their depth. And that was abundantly clear long before either of them went. Yeah. And you're just terrified about the future of the club uh, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, like well, once the kind of... <laughs> The, the ridiculousness of it all slips away. You just wonder if Falkirk's, you know, where Falkirk Stadium is going to save us from relegation somehow or whatever, you know? Like, it's it's horrible, horrible stuff. I was going to ask that because at that point in the season, after that one bad week, as Jim will call it, where was your head at in terms of where we might, where that season could end up? Because yeah. we slipped out seventh after the Hibs game. We were nine points out of Hearts, who also had a game in hand at that point. But I remember thinking after that Hibs game, there's no danger of us coming anywhere close to third. My concern yeah. is now in the rear view mirror and us getting... Because our trajectory at that point is just relegation bound. Um, yeah. And that's where I was at. I had a massive concern because we were just in free fall. But where were, where were you at that point? Exactly the same. That's kind of like why I kind of conjured the, the, the Falkirk and us finishing bottom debacle because I figured that's where we were heading. We were still, what, like nine or ten points off the, the dead drop yeah. zone or whatever, but you, you cannot. The way we were up, playing, I couldn't see us winning a game for the rest of the season. Exactly. Like, you cannot come up with a more catastrophic series of events than the, the, the ones we just experienced. And the way the team was playing as well, it was like, how on earth is any human being walking this planet going to unite this just group of calamitous? football players who are individually talented in various levels and various degrees, but particularly the defense, it was like, it's Bambi on ice, a lot of them. And you might get the odd, you know, moment of brilliance from a Duke or a Miofsky or whoever else. But yeah, I was uh, bricking it really. Uh, Once, once all the the stupidity of the situation subsided, I I didn't think the best manager in the universe could turn this ship around. You'd have confidence in a competent manager at the very least scraping away from the relegation zone, maybe just avoiding the playoff or whatever. You'd think that somebody could maybe paper over the cracks or whatever. Um, And for it to play out, (laughs) for it to play out the way it ultimately did towards the end of the season is almost as remarkable as the calamity before it. Indeed. And that, I think, feels like a sensible place to finish up this segment of the season review, Andy Murray, it's been a, I was going to say it's been a privilege, a privilege, <laughs> a privilege to look back over this absolute horror show again. But you know what? It's been good fun, if nothing else. Good crack. Like, we're not going to live through the football monitoring board many times, are we? Oh, I fucking so. hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, mate, an absolute privilege once again. Thank you very much for guesting this evening. 
that will wrap up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, or follow whatever you do on your podcast plate of choice. Join us next time for episode 111 of the show as Tom Watt. Tom gets to talk about something nice for once. And Jamie Guy and join us to discuss the reign of Barry Robson as the Dons somehow claw their way back from this absolute shit show to secure European football. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!